When you need flavor, add some salt. But the elements that make up salt, sodium and chloride, are good for nothing if you want something tasty. For one, sodium always combines itself with other elements. Whereas chlorine is a poisonous gas that gives bleach its offensive odor. Love and truth are a lot like sodium and chlorine. Love without truth is flighty, even willing to combine with other doctrines. Truth though, on its own, can be offensive, even poisonous. Spoken without love, it can turn people off from God. But add truth and love in the church, we can preserve and bring out the beauty of our faith. Our job is to penetrate and permeate the culture and to add flavor to a world that needs to be seasoned by the love of God. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. And the trial continues. This week, the claim is that the church is to be the salt and light of the world. But has it lost its flavor and contaminated the world instead? You get to play the jury as Charles Tapp continues his series, The Church on Trial, with part four, Good for Nothing. For those of you who have not been here over the past several weeks, this is part four of our series, The Church on Trial. And and since this is part four, we're more than halfway finished. I think it's a good time for us to go back and, and just re-examine what we would like to call our anchor text, our anchor passage that has been used as a springboard throughout our series. So I invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 to 18. And the word of God said, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Verse 18, and I say, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my, what everybody, church. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there are a couple of points we need to review again as we look at this anchor passage, and the first is simply this that in this passage, Jesus is not telling Peter that he is the rock upon which the church is going to be built, but he's telling Peter that the revelation that you had, that I am not just an ordinary man, but that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, I'm going to build my church on that. The foundation of my church is going to be that I am the Messiah I am the son of the living God. And when Jesus uses the word church here, this is the first time in the New Testament that it is applied to a spiritual context because this is the word ecclesia, which means 
the gathering or the calling, which comes from the verb ecclesiazo, which means to call from one place or another. And that word has in its root the Hebrew word gahal, which has really no spiritual meaning to it at all, but it simply means a group or an assembly. A group or an assembly. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, on this rock, in essence, he is saying, those who have decided and acknowledged that I'm not just any man, but I'm the Christ and the Son of the living God, those of you who I call to accept the invitation to be part of this community, you're going to be built on the fact that I am who I say I am. So when you look at the word church in this context, it makes a very important point, and that is this. That when it comes to the idea or the concept of what church is, church then is not an institution. Do you hear what I'm saying? The church is not a building or a place. The church is not somewhere you go. The church is not something you do or something you have. And I hear people say all the time, we had church today. Have you ever heard that expression used before? No, you didn't. You are the church, and I am the church. Amen? And as we begin part four of our series, The Church on Trial, we want to bring our focus this morning to the longest piece of teaching that Jesus has in the New Testament in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, better known as the Sermon on the Mount. Some refer to it as the manifesto or the, of the kingdom or the constitution of the kingdom. But in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reveals in very detailed sense here the qualities that he expects of all of those who are part of this new community who have come to him and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. They make up the church. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us the qualities that each of us is supposed to possess. And he highlights this especially in the portion that we refer to as the Beatitudes. Now, when you look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12, each of Christ's teachings here begins with this word, blessed. Blessed, better translated, happy. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are happy in spirit. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And in presenting these ideas of the kingdom, in a sense, Jesus flips conventional wisdom on its head. For it is here in the Beatitudes that Jesus challenges the culture's idea of what it truly means to be blessed. For many of the Jews in Christ's day related blessings to, to good health. So if you had good health, then they thought that they were blessed of God. Or if they had material possessions, then that in their mind meant that they were blessed of God. Or if they had a certain degree 
of financial wealth, they thought that they were blessed of God. And sadly, the case is that many of God's people still feel that same way today, that if I've got good health, it's a blessing from God, that if I have material blessing, it's a blessing from God. But here's, here's the issue with that. If you're poor, does that mean that you're not blessed of God? Only the rich and the social elite are, quote-unquote, blessed of God, and that's what they thought. So when Jesus came with this list that we call the Beatitudes, it really flipped the conventional wisdom of the day on the head. For Jesus says, not blessed because you are rich, but Jesus says, blessed are those, happier are those who are poor. Many of the Jews in their day associated their wealth with their station with God. For the more wealth they possessed, the more righteous they were in their mind in the sight of God. And when you think about it, that makes sense because that helps us to understand more clearly why the rich young ruler had such a challenge with ridding himself of his riches. We talked about that just last week because in his mind, he thought and he equated his riches with righteousness. So when Jesus said to him, get rid of that riches, he was thinking, oh, no, I can't because that's what makes me righteous. And that's why he has such a difficult time in relinquishing them, because God was simply telling him to get rid of your self-righteousness and take on the righteousness that I have to give you. Amen? But in the Beatitudes, Jesus focuses on not necessarily the blessings of this world, but Jesus takes an in-depth look at what it means to live in this world at the same time being eternally blessed. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when you ever get a chance to read it in its entirety, Matthews 5 to chapter 7, I advise you to do just that. For Jesus presents just about every issue Every situation that you and I as citizens or members of the kingdom of God will ever have to deal with in this life. For instance, in Matthew 5, 25, Jesus says, if you've got an issue with anger, then you need to settle the matter quickly. Jesus said, if judging is your issue, just remember that the same standard that you use to judge others will be used to judge you. Amen. We don't want people to just take it at face value. We want them to understand what? The full context of why this particular thing took place. Jesus says, listen, you want to know how to deal with your enemies? I'll tell you how to deal with your enemies. Love. Jesus says, love your enemies. And let me qualify this. As I said a couple of weeks ago, Jesus isn't saying here that you are to have and I am to have a warm fuzzy for our enemies, that when our enemies walk through the door, oh, I just love you. It's not what he's saying at all. In his book, Living God's Love, Douglas Cooper says on page 26 that loving is using one's God-given power of choice to do or say that which is in the best good or interest of another, regardless of feelings. So Douglas Cooper is simply saying that loving someone doesn't necessarily mean you really have to like them. But what it does mean, you've got to do what's in that person's best interest, whether it makes you feel good 
are not. In this same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deals with the issue of charity and doing good things. And Jesus said, listen, when you feel compelled to do something good, don't brag to the world that you've done it. Don't call for the TV cameras to come and follow you around so we all can applaud you. Jesus said, if you want to do good, just do it. Don't worry about who sees it. And then your father who sees it in secret shall reward you openly. And I love the counsel given in Matthew 7. Jesus says, listen, when it comes to how you as citizens of the kingdom are to interact with other people, follow the golden rule. Do unto what? Others. In other words, treat others the way you desire to be treated by them. Oh, if we just follow that counsel today. But in this Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is simply doing is this. Helping those of us who have accepted the invitation to be members of the kingdom of God to understand what he expects of the citizens of the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to focus on one particular aspect of this sermon, and it comes right after the Beatitudes. And I want us to go to Matthew chapter 5 as we look at verses 13 to verse 15. Matthew 5, verses 13 to verse 15. Jesus says, talking about and talking to the citizens of the kingdom of God. That's you, that's me. He says, you are what? The salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its what? Flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then what? Good for nothing. But to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are where? In the house. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if you're not being salty, if you have lost the ability to add flavor, Jesus says, talking about the church, you are good for nothing. When something is good for nothing, that expression doesn't mean that it's not good, but it's not good for the purpose in which it was intended. So when Jesus says, if you have lost your saltiness, he isn't saying that you're not good, but you're not good for the purpose in which you were intended to be good for. So when you talk about a person being good for nothing, words like bum or slouch or loafer come to mind. Harsh words, indeed, Jesus has for his church, the church that is the apple of his eye, the church that is supposed to be the theater of God's grace upon the earth, he says, listen, you are good for nothing. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part four of The Church on Trial. 
with his message, Good for Nothing. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lift me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. Support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people. Like, you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, turn to 91.9. Um, they are definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are and I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And the church is supposed to be the salt and light of the world. So does it make the world thirsty for God or has it contaminated it? It's the question posed this week as Charles Tapp continues with the fourth part in his series, The Church on Trial, with his message, Good for Nothing. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, this is not a new thought. He's just continuing from the Beatitudes. In essence, he's saying, if you don't possess the qualities that I just talked about here, that I need my church to possess, then really, you're not functioning in the purpose of which I have designed and called the church to be, so you are then good for nothing. And he condenses these two qualities simply by using the powerful metaphors of salt and light. And in essence, he's saying just as salt and light are very powerful properties that have great influence and impact in whatever surroundings they find themselves, Jesus says, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, which you have volunteered to be, you need to have influence and impact in whatever surrounding you are in. You know the properties of salt these inherent qualities to to drastically impact and improve their surroundings. Salt is good for being a preservative. It's good for preventing decay. It's good for enhancing and, and, and giving purity to something that is impure. Some of you, even before you take one bite of your food, tell the truth and shame the devil. I see you laughing right now. Oh, if they could see this on radio. Before you take one bite of your food, what do you do? You reach for the salt shaker. My mother, God bless her soul, she was from the South. Everybody from the South can cook. I've come to that conclusion. I tell you, every Sunday afternoon in our home was family dinner. She cooked fried chicken, mashed potatoes, candy yams, corn bread. If somebody's fasting today, I'm sorry. (laughs) And then the piece of resistance, collard greens. My mom's collard greens, I would put salt on them and then I stick my fork in it and I put it into my mouth. And if you fix collard greens 
just right. They don't crunch. They just, mm. <laughs> Whenever I would put salt in her collard greens and put them into my mouth, I would never go, mm-mm. That's the best tasting salt I ever had. No. I would say, Mom, that's the best tasting greens I ever had. I got all kind of brownie points. Here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying our job as the church is not to draw attention to ourselves. Our job is to penetrate and permeate the culture and to add flavor to a world that needs to be seasoned by the love of God. And here's the thing about being salt. You can't be effective if you just want to remain in the shaker. So if we're going to be the salt of the earth, we can't do that with spending all of our time with each other. We've got to go into the world wherever your world is. But here's the challenge. Some of us are afraid that if we go into the world, the world will contaminate us. You see, Christianity doesn't mean becoming a monk, a spiritual hermit, and locking yourself off from the world. But Christ wants us to remain in the world. And in verses 16 and 17, he says, don't worry about being contaminated, but sanctify them through the truth. And by sanctifying, Jesus simply saying, set them apart while they're in the world. And when you think about this, doesn't that sound kind of antithetical in a sense? How can I let you be a part of while setting you apart at the same time. The Apostle Paul makes it clearer in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, don't be conformed or shaped to this age or this culture, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word renewing means by redirecting of your mind. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be salt, you won't be contaminated while you're in the world, if you redirect your mind from the world to the Word of God. But Jesus says, listen, you have lost your saltiness, which means if you lose that, then you have ultimately lost the purpose for which I intended. And in essence, Jesus says, at that moment, you are good for nothing other than to be thrown on the streets and have people walk on them. Because if you kept salt back in that day that had lost its saltiness, not only did it lose its saltiness and become ineffective, it had the potential of contaminating the food. Does that mean then that if we're not living the kind of lives that God wants us to live, that we're not just adding flavor, but could it mean that we're contaminating the culture that he placed us in to transform to begin with? Some of us are not being the light that we need to be because we have taken that light and we have purposely placed a basket on it. In other words, we've refused to live up to the meaning of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Not because through our lackness that we have lost a sense of our relationship with God. But he says sometimes we don't become light because we refuse to be light. We refuse 
to come in contact with people and dispel darkness. We would rather they remain in darkness than put ourselves out there and become light. And here's the thing I love, and I love what Martin Luther King, the quote he gave, and I shared this a couple of weeks ago. He says, listen, when it comes to this thing of hate, hate doesn't dispel hate. Love dispels hate. Darkness doesn't rid itself of darkness. Light does that. And we are the light of the love of God. And it's our job to be this penetrating force in the world. That's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 16, verse 18, and the gates of hell will not be able to hold back the church. Why? Because the most powerful force you and I have to penetrate, to impact, and to bring influence to our culture is the love of God. But the love of God is the most powerful force in the world today. And if we were truly, truly the love church that I talked about a couple of weeks ago, we would change our world. Isn't it interesting that the name that we have as Christians, we didn't give that to ourselves. That was done by the pagans in Antioch because the pagans looked at the apostles and said, man, you guys are living in the world, but somehow you have been able to separate yourself from the world, but you are making such an impact on the world because you are living out the teachings of this Christ. They were in awe of seeing how they lived their lives. They looked back and they said, man, look at those Christians. And I wonder about that. How many of us are looking at me and looking at you and going, man, Look at those Christians. Look at how they're able to love their enemies. Look at how they do good, but they don't need to tell the world that they're doing it. They just do it. Look at how they treat one another. Look at those Christians. You see, we don't need to put a bumper sticker on our car or put some jewelry around our neck to let everybody know we're Christians. They shall be known by their love, God's love. And what does love do? When I was in college, I told the student, love wasn't put in your heart to stay. Love is not love until you give it away. First Corinthians chapter 13. We see the love chapter. We all know this by heart. Look at this. Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not what? Love. I become what? A sounding brass or a clanging or tinkling cymbal. He says, if you've got the ability to speak in tongues, tongues is a gift of the Spirit. But you do not have love, which is a fruit or a byproduct of being a member of the kingdom of God, then you are a clanging cymbal or a sounding brass. In other words, you may be good for something, but you're good for nothing. Then he says, though I can have the ability to prophesy and, and know all prophecies and end-time events, and, and though I give my body to be burned, and, and though I've got a health message that is out of this world that we don't even follow, if I do all of that, but I have not love, I am good for nothing. Because I have not been used for the purpose in which I was intended. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves corporately and individually. 
When people look at me, when people interact with me, does it create a thirst in them for what I have? And that's the question that we need to ask individually and we need to ask corporately. Because if we have all this other stuff, if we can know every prophecy in the book, every end time event, if we know all about the gifts of the Spirit, but we don't have the fruit of the Spirit, we're just simply a byproduct of being in Christ, then Jesus has some very harsh words for us. He says, you are good for nothing, meaning you're not living out the purpose for which you were called. Because when you live as a citizen of the kingdom of God, it will put you automatically at odds with the culture. The same culture that Christ says, don't take them out of it, leave them in it, because I've got a use for them. I need them to be salt. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? Better yet, isn't that the kind of church you want to be? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Good for Nothing. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. That what Jesus is saying through Paul's writings here, this is how I want you to open yourself up to my love. Next week, your jury duty continues as Charles Tapp reveals more evidence for and against the church as he shares the fifth part in this series, the church on trial with his message, Here Comes the Bride. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.